I'm Nat Finley. And I'm Adele Herman. You are listening to And We Go On, a podcast produced by She Unites. We are a nonprofit located in Dubuque, Iowa, with the mission of uniting women from across the Midwest to build a stronger community through engagement, genuine conversation, companionship, and supporting causes that matter. Our vision for the show is to continue the conversation had at our monthly educational events for women by women. And now we go on. Hey y'all, Adele here. A quick note before we dive into today's episode. Uh, Sharon A. Baker was our speaker in February of 2023, and she shared her personal narrative all about being a first-generation college graduate. And her experience is uh, one that we didn't dive super deep into into this episode. But if you want to hear more of her personal story, her triumphs, her tribulations, please head to our website, sheunitesiowa.com. We have the written transcript of what she refers to as her speech in this episode. You'll hear her uh, call back to that a number of times for greater detail on her personal story. Uh, This episode is also broken into two parts. Uh, This is part one where we talk a lot about her experience in the modern education system as a first-generation student. So without further ado, let's dive into today's episode of And We Go On. Hello, friends. Uh, Welcome back to And We Go On, the She Unites podcast. Woo! I'm so excited. We have a special guest with us today, uh, Shawrene Baker. She spoke last month at our uh, regular programming, and she is here again today uh, to go on with us. So we are really excited. Uh, welcome, uh, Shawrene. Yes, thank you. And um, as we talked about, my name is Sharnae Baker. I am from the Chicagoland area. I came to Dubuque for college in feels so long ago, but 2015. And I pursued my undergrad degree in psychology and then I minored in neuroscience. And um, this is just a personal tidbit for me. I personally felt really safe and I felt like uh, Dubuque had a lot of educational opportunities. So I stayed and pursued my master's. And then um, I got my master's in clinical social work. Um, and then that kind of brought me to where I am today. So I currently work at Loris College as the assistant director for inclusion and advocacy. And my upcoming plans for this summer is to uh, start providing therapeutic services um, here in Dubuque this summer. Um, and I hate the question of when people ask me, what are my hobbies? The pressure I feel about that. I know. <laughs> so many. Yeah. I feel like Adele's like, let me list them all for you because she has a lot of hobbies too. <laughs> I like to be busy. Yeah. I love, you know, I love to, but I, I feel like especially with my age group, it's kind of like, you sure you like that? <laughs> so, I mean, the, the ones that a lot of people can connect on are hiking and traveling. I really mm. love that. Um, because you were just in Dubai. I was. I know. Oh I was. Um, my, my wonderful, wonderful partner, he um, has been the, the one to show me the world. It's something that I've always talked about but never mm-hmm. did myself. And he jokingly said when we started dating, and he goes, you don't have a passport. I was like, oh, wow. I was like, oh, like everybody has a passport. He goes, hey, if we're dating, you you have to have a passport. And I was like, that cool. That's awesome. That's a requirement. It's, yeah. And so um, less than a month later after me getting my passport, he's like, I want to take you to DR. And it was kind of like he was saying that because that's where he's from. Oh, DR is Dominican Republic. Oh, okay, gotcha. And um, it was my birthday. And oh. so he like surprise planned that for me. And I was like, oh. And then out of nowhere, when we're 
in DR, he's like, okay, we have this really cool couple here. Like they really want, um, there are some travelers there and they want to hang out with us and you know, they can make it really affordable. Do you want to go to Dubai? And I'm like, what type of privilege is this? I am already sitting in an international place right now. You're asking me to go somewhere else? And he's like, well, you know, you work really hard and, you know, da 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 da. And so um, then we went to Dubai. And That's so, awesome. Yeah. And so he's teaching me. Um, kind of that that balance between hey you are working hard like you have to do something else aside from that working hard wow. piece and so what I would do is just work really hard and save it because I have this fear like I'm gonna need this sometime and you know he's oh, like yeah. you know take a break like this is your reward and this is your kind of relaxation and confirmation that you know you're doing good in the world and there's other parts to it so also celebrating those wins like yeah. you graduated you got your master's like you didn't yeah. buy a house recently I did like those are big wins yeah. yeah, gotta celebrate yeah. it by doing yeah. something fun. It can't be all work and no play. Yeah, and that's something I am learning because I kind of took it as that traditional, I guess this is what you're supposed to do. And he's right. like, oh, this is pretty, pretty dope if you ask me. And I was like, okay. So, uh, yeah, he taught me kind of those travel tips were the thank yous that you never said thank you for yourself. And I'm like, Jeez. It's funny that we're talking about this because I literally was just listening to another podcast, Peter Tia's podcast, and he was talking, he had a guest on there, which I'm probably going to butcher this. He's talking about the experiences that you can take now when you're young mm-hmm. versus the experiences you can take now later, like in mm-hmm. retirement and how to like one off those. He's like, so what experiences do you want to do now when you're able, mm-hmm. you know, traveling, hiking, swimming, biking, yeah. or whatever that looks like. And then what experiences can you save for later? Like mm-hmm. sitting and going to the opera. And I was like, Oh my word, my mind. Like I, yeah. I feel like the categories of things in my mind just like, like shifted for sure. But it was cool. <laughs> I, I something that we're literally just talking about this. Cause I was literally just listening to that yesterday. I love that. Yeah. So, uh, kind of those are the, the typical ones that people like know of the more interesting ones is I love to bowl. Like, Oh <laughs> my God. <laughs> I, I am it. like, I will turn on the TV to watch bowling. Like, That's awesome. <laughs> I love that. Do you bowl? I do. Are you like in a league? I am not. Like I, and I'm not in a league because I don't know about it. That's the only reason why. Otherwise you'd be all about it. Oh, for sure. (laughs) That's something that I would, I would love to do, but it's funny. A lot of people are like bowling. Really? It was one of the high schools, like just one like state bowling camps. did. Oh my, the fact that I knew about that. (laughs) I read about it in the paper and I'm like, this is so exciting. Yes, There's that, so many like obscure sports that like people around here do really well. For sure. And um, another oldie one um, is I love to knit. I've actually been knitting for a long time. That's cool. <laughs> like, I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, mm, it's not sexy, but it's cool. You know, I mean, for my partner, he's like, dude, I think that that's so interesting. He's like, you haven't knit in a while. And I was like, I just would have never thought to hear that out of somebody's <laughs> mouth is to remind me to go knitting. Um, also the hand-eye coordination for knitting. Oh yeah. Like yeah. it's very good like for your brain to do something that's like tactile and uh-huh. mindless, mm-hmm. but yet like methodical. Yeah. Um, and I, I asked myself like, why do I, why am I interested in those different things? And I think I'm really intact with um, the beauty of handmade things, whether mm-hmm. that's for food, clothes, like I just, I have this connection to the handmade anything. And I've always had that. I think I was really interested. Um, I think I saw, I mean, it was this really cool. I thought they were cool when I was like 
12, I think. And they were just sitting knitting. And I thought because of, you know, TV shows, it was always the grandma sitting by the fire, just kind of tired of her husband. And like, I'm just gonna, <laughs> you know, waste away time here. And she like super nice, super cool. Like for 12 years old, you know, you got to be cool in order for things to be cool. Yeah. And yeah. she was knitting and she made so many different things. I was like, no way I gotta do that and my mom was all about it my dad's like okay let's take her to the store let's do this and so my parents were like they're super supportive of it and nobody really questioned it until I started talking to older people they're like you knit really <laughs> I was like that's how I put bowling and knitting in that interesting category <laughs> there I think those are cool yeah yeah it's okay your parents were like great this is a very low risk hobby yeah. like, <laughs> I'm not concerned about how she's spending her time yeah no I was definitely that kid um but to something that I noticed is anything that I do I love to keep my childlike state intact mm. um my parents did really good with making sure my imagination stage was mm. as long as it possibly could okay. um and I noticed that when it was kind of wasting away when I revisited like why why is kind of the world sucking right now like why was it so much better when I was a kid and it was because like those kid like things it kind of brings you this different form of joy and um happiness and so I try to bring out that childlike state with whatever I do. Like I like to go to arcade like places. I mean, because when we were younger, we would go to, um, I think it was called like Hollywood park back where I'm from. And this is where you can do ski ball. This is when you could do, I mean, that was like the life, you know, I'm like, why only keep that when you're a kid? Like why right. not continue mm-hmm. to do that? And so like, those are the interesting things that I like. I don't know. I giggle every time people ask for my hobbies and I'm like, this will be an interesting conversation. I think it's cool. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Especially like the keeping your, your like childlike wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think more people need to think about that, especially when they're like choosing career paths or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. is this something that you were intrigued by or enjoyed as a child? Mm-hmm. Like good chance it's going to be a good fit for you. Like yeah. as an adult then. It, I like feel like throughout my entire journey, my biggest question is if you feel like you can't, why? And when you answer that, usually you find that it's something that is a mental barrier or this kind of like um, unwritten expectation. And it's like if you were to challenge that, what would be the the risks of that? And usually it's not a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Fear. there's obviously a lot of risk and different things. Oh, my God. Yeah. I just <laughs> I that lives on the edge. I live on the edge, but like, I don't like the feeling of adrenaline. So like, really? So like downhill skiing, I hate downhill skiing. Like it's too much speed, too much velocity. Like there were plenty of times as a, as a kid that I would have like a panic attack, like on Mm -hmm. a chairlift because it was Mm -hmm. just too much. But like, ask me to like, go like scale, like a cliff or something like what? no problem no problem i mean like with like calculated risk but i don't know yeah. like, that's so interesting i just feel like i have more control in a scenario like that even though i don't logically mm-hmm. I feel like when in skiing, they teach you that pizza and pie thing. So I kind of slow down. I mean, my thing is to my competitive, um, this person taught me uh, to ski, uh, I think my sophomore or junior year coming here. And I've never heard of skiing before ever, but I didn't want everybody to know about that. (laughs) And so I wanted to kind of fit in. And like they had, they brought their nephew. I think their nephew was 12 years old and he was going on the slopes. And so I was like, I'm going to teach myself this, you know, like what's, what's the risk besides, you know, falling and, you know, all this. 
just, you know, the pizza when you can slow down. I'm, yes. I'm telling myself that there's things that I can control. And no lie, one week into learning how to ski, I was competing on those Saturday events of the downhill slope <laughs> I, where you have to like switch between the uh, pole flags or something like oh, that. Yeah, like a yeah. ski race. <laughs> I probably, probably wouldn't do that again. Like I, I, <laughs> I was very much so protected in the helmets and like a lot of layers, but I'm just like, man, the things you do, like, oh my God. Right, like when the competitive drive kicks yeah. in, you're like, mm-hmm. it kicks in. Absolutely. Yeah. Because but, uh, going uh-huh. to college, you, did you start with track and field at Loris? Um, I was recruited for it, but okay. I did not do it until my junior year. Okay. Um, a lot of things we'll get into that, but being yeah. a, like, we're, we'll, t- uh, to define what first gen is, but being a first gen is something that it takes a toll when you're trying to just get a degree and you yeah. don't really notice it until you look back and like, Oh, you know, I could have known this or used this or, you know, those mm-hmm. different things. But yeah. 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 So let's go back to last month when you talked mm-hmm. about the families first mm-hmm. kind of let's just start there. Like mm-hmm. when defining the families first and what that looks like. And you talked about like the first gen and what that looked yeah. like going to college and mm-hmm. give us like a little bit of insight on that. Yeah. So my title was, uh, the families first. And I really took that title from the term first gen. So first gen is this term widely used, uh, mainly to define that you are the first in your nuclear family to either pursue or, uh, receive a degree in college. And so, um, I, also direct a first gen program as well. And so I understand the dynamics, um, the confusion, the the journey of being a first gen. And I'm just like, hmm, like first gen, I think that is a little bit more than college. And so for mm-hmm. me, the family's first meant that I'm either the first in my family or I'm a very low percentage of the person pursuing something in my family. So this is buying a home, this is financial wellness, challenging generational norms, um, a lot of different dynamics. And so uh, I looked back at my life and was like, man, you are the first in your family to do that, or it's only one other of you. And so I was like, the family's first. And part of me was scared crapless of like, what is my family going to think, you know, and it's supposed to be this empowering um, speech, but also honoring and respecting the family as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the family's first um, mixed with like the first gen is something that kind of spoke to me in the way of my speech and trying Mm -hmm. to, you know, relay that message. Mm -hmm. So kind of walk us through high school to college with being the family's first and what that kind of looked like. Also, I would love to hear what your parents thought of Mm. when you, you know, we were like, Oh, I mean, did you tell them before you spoke last month? You know, to be honest, I don't even know if they still know about that. (laughs) Surprise mom and dad. Oh, and by the way, I'm on a podcast. Um, I, I, I think that my dad does know my dad is somebody that I'm talking, think about your traditional mom and dad roles. That is me with my dad for sure. So he is so accepting. He, um, he, he has this trust within me, like whatever she's saying, even if it sounds off, I'm not going to scold her. I'm not going to get mad at her. We're just going to have a conversation about it. And I think that that's why I gravitate towards my dad. Um, it's just a very open and and accepting space. So he does know about it. I don't know if I told him all the details because this is something we talk about every week anyway. So (laughs) I call him and tell him like, 
oh, this person did this or, you know, da, da, da. he just listens to me. So I was just like for a podcast or like, you know, the speech, it will be everything that we talk about anyway. <laughs> That's really neat. So, yeah. Um, you guys have that relationship. Yeah, I am very thankful. Um, and I, I, I say this in the way of I want to normalize it, but that is my stepdad. And so my stepdad is, I think I've known him since I was two or three, but like, it's the relationship that if anybody uses the word step, he is upset. You do not say that at all. And uh, like the respect I have for my dad in general, but like, as I'm getting older to my mother, my mom had three um, girls and then he had three boys and they met. And I'm just like the, the, the love and care that you have to take on three kids. And we were, Two, three, and four. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Like, that is amazing. And my dad, like he is, he has taught me so much and he's just, yeah. So anyways, with the kind of the response that he gets, my dad is the one that his response to a lot of things is actually, you know, what's best in a way. Sometimes it's overgeneralized and I'm like, dad, you need to go into detail a little bit. Like, <laughs> I don't know, always know what's best. Like, um, like, you're the one with wisdom. Can you give me a little yeah, more? Yeah, for sure. And so, um, kind of, um, he, he's just always taking things that I've done to basically boost me to keep going in certain areas. So the podcast, I'm pretty sure he'll listen to, um, but he'll want to hear more. Like he's more like, I want to actually call you and talk to you. Like, why, why, why do I have to listen to it? Can't you talk to me about it? Can we do this? You know? So, um, how everybody else will respond. I I will hope that they respond in a good way because they know that it's out of empowerment. Mm -hmm. And I think that I kind of hold myself back mentally of thinking that people would be upset. And in reality, people are probably like, uh, no, I've never been upset about that. I mean, I look around in the family too, and I don't see this. Like, why would I be upset about that? And so it's kind of my balance of trying to figure out um, if people are bad or not. <laughs> but it's that, it's that risk that I am willing to take because I am one to learn from normalizing really crappy situations or like, oh, everybody's family isn't perfect. What? Like once people start talking about things that happen in family or to themselves and they made it out of that, that gives me more willpower and strength than anything ever. And so I'm just like, I'm going to take that risk mm-hmm. and talk about these different things. So I think women and people in general just need to hear like, man, that person had a really crappy life and they still made it out. Like, mm-hmm. I think that I can do that too. Because I think at some point in time, we always have this moment that we made a mistake in our past. And with today's cancel culture, it will paralyze you. And like, I need to just stay here. Like, I just don't want to work that hard. And then somebody take everything away. Or what if somebody knew me and I was less mature, less underdeveloped and mentally, you know, and we kind of paralyze ourselves in those different situations. And just having a conversation about like, hey, this is our first time at life. Of course, we're going to have some mistake. There was absolutely nobody who's perfect. And um, also too, I was told to not talk about my downfalls, like the specific downfalls that I have there. Like, do not say that. Like, that's going to look bad for the family or like, that's going to look bad. Like, it's going to come back at you. Like, don't say that. I'm just like, for a while I believed it, but I'm like, come on now. Like, nah, I'll just be that person, you know? And I start to understand that. Once I say it, you will be so surprised with how many people are in that kind of similar journey, path, situation. And they're like, you did it too? Like, can we talk about this? And it's like, 
having conversation moves us forward in time so much Mm -hmm. but when we act like everything's so perfect and like we don't have any trauma and you know the family's the best thing like we're really good I feel like we just stay behind ages and and centuries at that point so Mm -hmm. yeah that's kind of like the gist of that yeah so let's talk about you stepping into Loris College Mm -hmm. so what I mean, from, uh, remind me, you, were you, you were, you guys were in Chicago. Yeah. Chicago land okay. for the Chicago people. I said Chicago land, uh, not yeah. the Chicago. Don't want to offend them. 25 minutes from Chicago. <laughs> 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 yes. Um, so, um, I was in under, um, I was in high school and my parents actually valued education a lot. They didn't always have conversations about it, but I found myself moving quite a bit and they would move and I would ask why. And they're like, well, the neighborhoods aren't good. Or like this education is, eh. and my mom would be like, when I went to school, it was like this. You don't even have swimming pools. You all don't even do home ec. You don't do this. And so like they would have those type of conversations. So I moved, I would say three or four schools. And I actually, <laughs> my senior year, um, I moved to a different school in like November and I was okay with that. <laughs> like three or four times in high school? So, okay. So no, no, no. So okay. when in elementary school, I moved, I think I moved in uh, fifth grade. So I went to private school from first grade to fifth grade. I don't really count like the pre-K school cause you probably always change that. And then we went to a public school for middle school and then we went to a high school um, and then we switched and then we switched again. And the last time we switched was my senior year and that was in like November. And they're kind of like worried like, oh, like she made friends for four years. And I'm like, no, I'm ready, I'm ready for some change. Like I'm okay, you know, <laughs> I was kind of, and I, I, I think that I was always that open child, you know, keeping that childlike state in mind of like what's next. And I knew too that the neighborhood that we were moving to was better. Um, and I start to understand like the difference of where you live can really impact how you feel. And so when we were in middle school, the neighborhood looked a certain way kind of a bit. Like you can kind of understand your safety. You can kind of like, eh, you can go to the park or whatever. And my mom, I remember my mom was yelling at my dad because this guy was just walking. He was just eating, you know, with a plastic plate or whatever. He was walking across the lawn. They hate when you walk across their lawn and he threw the plate like on our lawn. And my mom's like, we're out. I am not staying for this. Like I can guarantee it's going to be this, this and this. And yeah, sure enough, two years later, it was, it was pretty, it was getting there. And so we moved and they were kind of worried that I'd be, you know, oh, I lost my friends and like, you know, this is this, but I was pretty open and I still kept a relationship with them. So yeah. And so basically the high school that I went to, that was traditionally not a Loris affiliated district at all. This guy, uh, this admissions rep at Loris just took the risk and was like, Hey, I'm going to go to this school and just see if I can, you know, see, talk to any students. And I was the only one. And still to this day, we don't have anybody else that came from that district or that school. And it's so, I know. And I find it so interesting. So we started at that first school and then, um, he continued on with me when I went to the second school. And so he asked me about my interests and hobbies. And I was like, Oh, like I run track. Like I went to state multiple times for track and I didn't know that you can get recruited for track. And so that's when that next part of the coach coming in and having conversations and he came to my meet. And at first I've never heard of what a Loris college was. And I was like, what? And it's in Iowa. Everybody's questioning me. Why are you going to Iowa? So I kind of had some like questions about if I really wanted to go to it or not. And, um, I think I just, 
told myself that I want to take a risk and I just felt like changing environments helped me better mentally, I would guess. And so I just challenged myself and said I wanted to go. But then the the, the actual truth is my house was chaotic as I can. I can't even I just knew I needed to get out. I was like, I love this, but I need out. And so it was a part of time when I was going to college and I did not want to continue. But I was like, I will pay 30 grand just to not go home. Not going to lie. Like, oh, my parents, I hate that I said that. Like, that is the truth. And I knew that it was a point of time where I was seeking something different. And for me, I saw education as the way out. I don't think that education is the answer for everything by any means. But Mm -hmm. for me personally, with the options that I had, education is like, if I want out, if I want to do something better, I didn't know what it was at the time. I just know I want it out so bad. And I was like, okay, it has to be this Loris College that they talk about that nobody knows what it is. (laughs) But then everybody in the Chicagoland area knows what Loris College is. My dad wears a shirt and he gets stopped at the grocery store all the time. That's like, funny. It's like sometimes I just wear the shirt just to have conversations. <laughs> I feel like your dad and I are a lot of like, <laughs> I, I can see that for sure. Yeah. Um, so kind of like when you said kind of high school to college, it was me not really knowing um, really what to do and me telling myself like, I'm going to take this big risk in Iowa that I know nobody. Like I knew I think when I switched schools, I knew one other girl that went. So we had this kind of district. It's called Lincoln Way North, East, South, like that type of deal. We had one girl from Lincoln Way North. That was me because I switched schools. And we had one from East and one from Central. And I thought that was super interesting. Mm -hmm. So that in itself convinced me like, okay, you're going to go to Loris College because now you know these people. And so that district is very well known to go to Loris College. The district that I came from previously, my first high school was not known to go to Loris College. So I'm like, man, that was at the time didn't have the language <clears throat> but that was some universal synchrony right there <laughs> so um yeah so that's kind of how i came from the high school to college um i knew that both of my sisters pursued uh, college but didn't you know follow through with it it was either money or just not really knowing how to navigate it and at the time we didn't have language to say what first gen is and they were struggling from being a first gen and a lot of people when they talk to me about my struggles of college or, you know, that pursuit, they bring up um, race and ethnicity. And I think that that's very, very important. I think that the the true, out of all of the things, to be honest, I think it was more of a first gen than my race and ethnicity, to be honest. And um, I hope this is okay to say, but like my experience at Loris, because you were, it was not a lot of minorities, they will focus in the media on you. They will focus in and ask you like more questions for you to get involved and, you know, these different things. So I personally liked being a black person going to Loris. You know, it did have the setbacks of not having that cultural, um, I would say commodity in certain things, but I was also, I was raised and taught to thrive in that society. Both of my parents grew up in that type of society. So I was well prepared for that. Mm -hmm. So that's not everybody's experience. That's just my experience. And I think that more than anything, what really knocked me down, if I can just name it, is being a first gen and Mm -hmm. not having at the time a first gen program or not having professors and staff members understand what it means to have a first gen in front of you. Mm -hmm. That is what I would think. Yeah. Kind of that college experience. So that totally makes sense. Did you feel that way being like older going into college or did they prep you well? Cause coming from our high school day, mm-hmm. I felt like I didn't get prepped super well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I had a few, my senior year, a few hard classes to mm-hmm. prep me well, but I felt like I, 
I kind of felt like I was thrown into the lion's den. Oh yeah. And I think nowadays, like the amount of AP courses that people are coming in, I'm like, I, I didn't have that, you know? And I think that maybe that is a little bit of a prep for people. But for me, it was just, your professors aren't going to take this. Your professors aren't going to do this, but it was nothing else more than that. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really kind of hard. Yeah. yeah, Did you have someone in high school when you switched over schools, Mm -hmm. did you have someone at that second high school that kind of took you under your wing to kind of help you navigate what going to college was going to look like? Or who did you, who were you able to ask questions to? See, that's the thing. I did have people, but I didn't have people in that space of like, um, logistics of what the next steps are. They were more, they saw me, especially the high school that I went to, they saw me as different. And so they wanted me to keep that intact. Like I didn't really care what the fashion or like, you know, we had little troubles with fighting and all of this, but I was always the one that's good morning. Hi, how are you? You know? And like, I was just super preppy in a school that they just didn't care. They were too cool for school. If you look at them for five seconds, like you're in a fight, like that type of deal. And so like my relationships with my teachers at the time is they really cared more about preserving that space within me rather than like, this is the next step. So I've heard some conversations that my teachers would say like, you're going to be something you know, someday you're going to do something like you're going to be the different one. But other than that conversation, no. So I had people that I trusted in high school, but I think their predominance was like, she is very different. Like I want to preserve that. Like I want to make sure that she doesn't, you know, fall in the tracks of like what's going on around her. And so they were kind of like hands on deck with that. So I'm not like mad about it, but I also was like, I didn't know that they could have done that, you know, with mm-hmm. me. So no, I didn't necessarily have somebody prepping me for what that next step looked like. No. Yeah. Like my high school, granted, like I grew up in a very like educationally like driven mm-hmm. city. And so like I had like, I was taking like honors classes mm-hmm. as early as like seventh grade. And oh, like wow, we had, smart. And we had um, like, I remember that there was a specific class when I was a sophomore and it was like a combination history and English class. And it was designed to look like a college class and like every single 10th grader took it kind of thing. And so I felt like the system, it was more of a conveyor belt system of like, these are your steps. And it kind of weeded out all that individuality. So I would have kind of hoped for more of like a combination of the two, um, where I could have had teachers that like preserved that uniqueness about Mm -hmm. me rather than this is your next step in the system. Go on now. This is what what we need you to do. Yeah. This is what's going to kind of like preppy. Yeah. That makes sense. Sure. And it's so interesting. You're the first person that I have heard specifically say that within the education system of weaning out the individual, like in the individualness and creativity, like you hear about it, but I'm talking about face to face first person, because a lot of people ask like, why is it so hard for you to like draw this or create this? And I jokingly, but so seriously say, I think that the American system, like education system, because it's all about a grade and it has to be a specific way. I can't think like I literally can't be creative anymore. Like, because the the most times that I was trying to be creative, it was like, well, it's not that way. So you got an F. I don't want an F. I I, I like A's. I really love A's. And so like my biggest thing is what what can I do to get an A? And so like over time that just wean out like my creativity in terms of like drawing, painting, um, doing a simple flyer. Like it takes me forever and I am stunted for so long. And I just make the joke that American education system really kind of took that away from me. (laughs) It's true though. It's so true. Cause like, I remember like 
the, the same kind of idea of that. It's all grades driven. It's mm-hmm. like rote memorization. Mm-hmm. And like, I remember I had like a fifth grade teacher. She was known as like the project teacher mm-hmm. and parents hated her because it was all grading based on like creativity and your like mm-hmm. unique ideas and how you approach a topic. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, this isn't like a standard or like mm-hmm. this, like this doesn't equivalent to like 90% or 80%. Yeah. And it just drove people nuts. But like, mm-hmm. that's what creates like better critical thinkers down the yeah. line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I actually, I'm um, pretty geek. I like to look into like a lot of documentaries and things. And I'm just like, was so upset with some education systems that I really wanted to look into it. And so me and my boyfriend watched this entire documentary about how I hope this is okay to say, but the American (laughs) education system was set to uh, build workers. They weren't set to build these individual thinkers, you know, because Mm -hmm. it's only about one right answer. You do as you're told, you do it in a specific fashion. When you get to, when you get done with block A, you go to block B and you do it every single day, five days a week. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, no, no, I didn't want it. Like after years of making jokes about it and you hear about it, obviously that's not every single, you know, um, education system that they have Mm -hmm. because there are different schools um, that offer different things. But like to know that I'm like, oh my God, so upset about that. So yeah. Yeah. I know creatively, like going back to college, like I wish I would have taken more like textile classes. I wish mm-hmm. I wish I would have taken a you know a graphic design class or, you know, um, like in in high school I had the oppor- opportunity to take like two sewing classes, oh. and that was fun. But like never again was that ever like that creativity was mm-hmm. ever like tapped on. But I thought that I had to go to business school. I had to take these classes. You know, kind of like mm-hmm. the trajectory to be like you're going to get in and out in four years, and that's it. Did you major in business? Yeah, business administration oh. marketing. But <clears throat> I had the C's get degrees. And I was like, how do I get in and out? Uh-huh. Really only need to know what I learn. And uh-huh. I, I went to UD to play soccer, uh-huh. um, which is funny because I wanted to go to cosmetology school. We talk about this all the time. I wanted to go to cosmetology uh-huh. school, but my, my parents really pushed me to get a degree mm-hmm. to fall back on, um, which I, if I was doing here right now, I'd probably be banking more money, but you know, <laughs> that's another conversation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I remember going and being like, these are the things I have to do. Mm-hmm. These are the these are the classes I have to take to get done and out in four years. Which looking back, I'm like, I enjoyed it because I played soccer mm-hmm. and because like that competitive drive. But also at the same time, I'm like, did I enjoy it? Did mm-hmm. I do what I actually wanted to do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, oh bummer. I hope. I mean, not that I regret it, but I mean, there's some things that I do regret. We shouldn't talk about later. But yeah, <laughs> I, I'm like, oh, I hope. You know, like what was I doing creatively? You know, creatively, or you know, stretching myself, or mm-hmm. learning. You know, learning an instrument. Like I, I wish I would have been required to learn an instrument, or mm-hmm. you know, something like that. Yeah. So. And to to these points, and this is to um, where. I would say when I was drafting my speech of like what to really talk about, I feel like what I want people to realize is that today's society um, is just set up for you to be so removed from who you truly are because you're so much easier to control when you don't know who you are. And like talking about the education system of stripping you of that creativity, of that individuality, about people being passed down the idea of like, you can't do a specific um, career because it's not gonna bring in money. Like you are constantly removed from the idea of what do I want? What do I like? And so when people talk about things that they struggle with or like my long list of mess ups, I would say, or these 
F ups, like I would really like to say is that for so long, I was so mad at myself. Like, how could you let yourself do all this or like experience this and, you know, all of this. But when you're set up in a society like that, that has been for what, hundreds of years. But then also the second thing is that like today's society is set up to get you pleasure immediately. Whatever you want, you can have it right now. Social media, if you don't like that picture, you can Photoshop it. If you don't like this, you can have this. Like it is set up to give you everything right away. And I I believe that the intention of that started off really good, but what is it doing for people? It it makes it seem like if I have to work for something, it's bad, it's wrong, like this is too much, like I can get something somewhere else, like why would I work through that? Why, Why would I work on that? Like I just need it right now. And so creating that mentality, and again, that pushes you so far away from who you truly are. And not in a conspiracy theory type of way, but I really believe for these people that have leadership, they believe that in order for this world to go round in the way of them making the most money is for people to be controlled. You know, like you, I want you to think that you have to do a nine to five in order for you to feel any type of morality about yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I want you to do this, this and that. Um, and I think that they care about that birth rate more because it's like, hmm, like who's going to be working for us? Like overall, it's very important, right? But for them, they they go down to the nitty gritty of certain things. And it's like people are getting... Um, more degrees nowadays. And it's kind of like, it seems like we're being punished because this entire time a degree was worth so much up until just recently. Like what, why, why is it, you know, not worth as much? And I think it's when you get a degree, you're not going to be working those jobs that people really need as essential. And, um, I think that people are kind of freaking out about that, like people in leadership. And, um, I just think again, it's just this constant removal of, that person to the identity, but we'll give you these small things to make you feel like you're in control. Like you can have your own social media, like you can post whatever you want, you can do this, but in that, what's that algorithm doing? It's giving you only the things that you like, you know? Um, and that's something that I also taught myself is, um, two through my journey when I, when I had to ask myself, like, how do you get out of this? One thing is if I, I don't work to to basically end something that is terrible going on, if that makes sense. I work on this process of how to get to that point. And so I noticed that I was scrolling, like I was that scroller on social media. And I was like, man, I am just wasting hours. Like what is going on? And so when I learned about what an algorithm is, and if you look at a video, you know, like a picture, it's going to pick up and continue Mm -hmm. to do that. I was like, I'm going to look on my phone and, you know, take a few days and I'm only going to like these type of educational things. I'm only going to like or view these spirituality things, these mental health things. So that if I do have that moment of time where I am scrolling, at least I'm getting something out of it. You know, at least I'm not watching just dances or, you know, doing all these different things. And so those are kind of the tidbits that I understand that this world is actively removing you from your identity, from your individuality, your creativity, because think about it this way. People like, when you read the books about people in like the 1930s, they try to make the people seem so incompetent or like, you know, they needed a lot of things. But back then they relied so little on the government. You had, you know, um, Sarah up the street that had the potatoes. You had Charnay that had the apples. You Like everybody was a community base. You did not really use the government at all. You created your own water set, uh, water you know, wells and things like that. It it was a lot of Mm self-sufficiency. And I think that they try to remove that idea because the government wants to be a little bit more into it. And the the sacrifice we, we pay in that process is we're removing like who we truly are. And so when people have these 
problems and, you know, complications and they feel that they're lost. I'm just like, that is completely normal. And I try to normalize that experience because how do you really expect for yourself to really know who you are at core if you're living in today's society without actively working to, you know, fight for yourself? Like, how do you, nobody teaches you to fight for yourself, really. You know, they say that, but they don't go into depths about like what's working against you. How do you fight for yourself? How do you get up every morning and talk about, you know, what's best for me? They, they don't really go through those different things. And so uh, that's too, when I was thinking about my speech, I'm like, okay, there is so much going on. Um, and part of me, I don't really get embarrassed quick. I say it just because everybody says it. But to be honest, I don't really get embarrassed quick because I see the comfort in everybody else's eyes when something happens to me. And I was like, I don't mind being that person, you know? <laughs> and so I look at my situations of what we're going to talk about of um, what I went through, you know, through that undergrad experience that was just so horrible. But I'm like, I think that I went through it because I'm a person that can normalize it. I'm okay with it. I made it out of it, you know, and making sure other people can know, you know, to have that too. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That was so long when. This episode of And We Go On is sponsored by Flatted Fifth Blues and Barbecue. Come experience where the blues and barbecue of Beale Street meets the jazz and Cajun food of Bourbon Street at this from scratch kitchen in Bellevue, Iowa. Known for their incredible house smoked meats and Southern specialties, Flatted Fifth has been featured by Southern Living Magazine, Food and Wine Magazine, and the Iowa Tourism Awards. Grab a bite at Flatted Fifth at their flagship Bellevue, Iowa location in the historic Potter's Mill or at their debut kitchen inside Dimensional Brewing Company. For more information, head to pottersmill.net. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So I think this is a good place to like transition into like mm-hmm. those like early years at Loris yeah. and like, cause you were saying how difficult of a transition that was and how mm-hmm. you were kind of blindsided a lot of that. So like walk us through that. Oh, okay. I will try to not trauma dump. Uh, (laughs) um, I would say uh, coming in one, the Chicagoland area is very different than Iowa, as we know, uh, specifically Dubuque, Iowa. And I will start with the the obvious basics of like, um, you have just everything at your fingertips, food, activities, like traffic, everything's there in Chicagoland. And then here it's a little bit less, not a little bit. Okay. It's less (laughs) uh, going on. And so I noticed that, but to be honest, when a lot of my Chicagoland friends um, complained about it, I felt like I had a deep breath. And so that was kind of my first like, hmm, that's interesting. And I'll kind of go on a tangent there later, but um, the transition I had was I didn't have as many things around me. And I guess in a distracting way, you know, if I feel like I am sad or whatever, like I wanna go do this, I'm gonna go do that. Um, But here in Iowa, you kind of really rely on your friends or, you kind of go to a place that you're going to see everybody else <laughs> like at the time. Um, and so that first year is kind of like understanding that transitional difference of this is not the Chicagoland area. You don't have, you know, the your favorite foods back home. You don't have all these activities. So what can you do on your time? The next biggest thing is... Um, I wasn't well prepared. So that first high school that I went to, I was not the minority at all. Like it was predominantly black um, and Hispanic. And so I was learning how to be a minority, if that makes sense. And it's like in society, you know that you are, but my everyday life was um, centered around making sure I see people. Like my parents, like I want her to see people that look like her up until my like last high school year. But even in private school, 
it was a hundred, I think it was a hundred percent black except for one year. And then it was 99.9% black. Um, and they still worked on the identity building those different things. So I, for my whole life, I, I knew what it means to be black and to see other people. And then to, to be in a space in Iowa where there was like, at the time it was five, but by the time I graduated, I think I was the only black woman. Yeah. That uh, rocked across the stage um, in 2019. But for me, the transition is, how do I embrace being black without being judged? I had this fear of like the angry black woman or she's so ghetto or, you know, so for me, the hard part is um, in the black community, hair is a big part of like who you are. Like it, it's this art, it's this connectivity to yourself. So that's why you see people hours, you know, doing hair, it's expressive. And I actually grew up getting perms my whole life. So, well, I think it's called relaxers. Um, and what that means is if you have curly hair, it makes it completely straight. Um, and so I found out in college for the first time I had curly hair. And I had nobody to talk to about it. And so like, I'm like crying, like it was super hard for me to go to class and you know, it sounds so weird, but when you have had this space of people doing your hair and you, it, it was just this beauty around it to like, you have no idea what is going on. I mean, like anytime that I had any type of curls, my mom would come in and put the relaxer in, you know? So I had like wavy hair. The most I've had is wavy hair. I think when I was young, I saw pictures of super curly because obviously you would never put a relaxer in a baby's hair, you know? So I knew that I had it, but I had no idea how to manage it. And so the biggest crack for me was after like that societal, like this is not Chicago was what the heck do I do on my hair? Like, people are going to be like, can I touch it? Or like, uh, you know, they're going to like complain about it or, you know, like I was so fearful. So like, I remember like being so depressed cause I didn't know how to do my hair and there was no shops around here. And I'm like, there's no products. And I'm just like, what the heck do I do? Because people are asking about my hair. Like, and I didn't know what to do. Oh, like I'm like crying right now. It was so, it was so hard. It was I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> it was so hard. And I was actually at the age too, like that time, like I didn't care when people ask, can you touch my hair? I always look at it as, obviously you don't have my hair. So you wouldn't know what that feels like. So of course you could touch my hair. I think that I, I only stopped probably three years ago because people will always say something like they don't, they don't notice it, but I do. Cause I'm the one hearing it the most is like, they would have this negative uh, comment on it over it or say like, Oh, I could never have that hair. Oh my God. Like I would just be so exhausted. And I'm just like, okay, I'm the one that got to hear about these comments. So like nobody can touch my hair. So also, I'm the one that's got to do it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, I know how much time it takes. Yeah. yeah. You're so, like, it's, it's mine. <laughs> yeah. Anytime. Like, so now anytime people ask me, Oh, how long did it take you to do your hair? Oh, not long at all. They're like, but how long? I'm like, Oh, not, not long at all. And I look at Enoch and I was like, you don't say anything at all. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> and so um, for a while, like in college, I didn't I didn't mind because a lot of people did ask and I didn't I did. I genuinely didn't mind because I'm like, you don't have that hair. Of course you will want to know, you know, so I was open to it. So that did was, you let it eventually go curly? Yeah, because for a relaxer, you can't just like let anybody do it. Like you have to, my mom or my aunt was the only two people in my entire life that ever did it. And I've met people that their hair completely fell out because they went to like a, a shop or something and they didn't know and they left it too long. And so that was that fear that you do not let anybody do it. And so I didn't have a choice. And so like, those curls, I mean, I'm talking those curls came. My, 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 my body's like, huh, we got the time to breathe and be natural. 
And uh, the good thing is my roommate was from Colombia and in Colombia, they still, the part that she's from, they, they don't have racism, if that makes any sense. She didn't understand what it means. She was like, why do people keep saying white, black, you know, Hispanic? She did. She genuinely didn't. I'm like, what do you mean you don't understand? Everybody in Colombia, Colombian. <laughs> That's it. Colombian. Like, oh, you talking about her? Okay. The Colombian with the green hair. <laughs> Oh, okay. The Colombian with the, the, the blue jacket. Oh, okay. The darker skin Colombian. Yeah. Like it was just that it was, everybody's Colombian, you know? So she was super like, that was interesting. And so she's the one who got me into YouTube. So I think my era of people learn how to do their hair on YouTube, not going to lie. And so she would sit with me like a few weeks and just like, okay, like this is for curly hair. And she's like, if you have to put coconut oil in your hair, I'll do it too. And so we would sit there with coconut oil in our hair and just, you know, so she helped me so much Sally she transferred uh, but she helped me so much to like normalize it a little bit because I was not having a good time at all so when you talk about what was what was the thing um what was the transition you know in college and I think again that first gen piece but also like moving different places the number one thing was I didn't have everything that I had to distract me quote unquote distract me from back home the second one was that hair Third one, my dad throws down in the kitchen. So I was hangry a lot. I don't even think we had language for what hangry was, but I was not getting my good food in me. Like I was not having a good time. I was like ramen noodles. Uh, what do you yeah, even I do know. with that? Like, how do you like, I'm talking my dad would make steak and potatoes. Like he would make meatloaf by hand. Like a lot of people, they are used to like the mom in the kitchen. Like it was my dad. My dad was the one that took us to ballet class. Like he took us to school. He, you know, took us to band practice. He was the one cooking. He was the one doing this. And so he took care of all those needs for me back home that I didn't have to think about. And it's kind of like, I got to feed myself what like that was so hard for me so I would say like being hangry was another one too um and then like the last one is the first gen piece of being so lost I genuinely I got to college it wasn't until 2018 I think it was 2017 I lied I thought that when you go to college you only major in things that are in high school that's science math writing uh probably one other one And so I thought that I had to do one of those. And I'm like, my favorite teacher was in science. You know, she she was the best thing ever for me. So I guess I'm going to go in science. I was not having a good time in science. I I was like, I can't do math. I don't want to do math. Like, I don't want to write essays, you know. So I just thought my my options were so limited. So for a long time. I stayed in a major that I didn't necessarily like. And it wasn't until my friend did this major called neuroscience. I was like, what the heck is that? And she talked to me about it. And it was a mix between psychology and sciences. And um, I just, I was like, man, this sounds like something I, I would like, you know? And I think I had one other person, one other friend that, you know, sat me down and was like, well, what do you like? And thankfully their parents, great grandparents, aunties, uncles, brothers, sisters, they went to college. So they know, you know, how to have that conversation. And though the conversation was very small, it got my mind going. And so it wasn't until my senior year that I noticed that I could change my major. So I think it was the end of my junior year, probably like four weeks before school ended, um, I talked to this one person and told them like, I have to major in like psychology. I can't get it in this bio, you know, or whatever. And they were like, okay. And so Loris is super good at treating you like an individual. That is one thing that I do appreciate is when you do come to them for a problem and my experience and a lot of people that I know classmates, 
they treat you as like, okay, what can we do for you as a person? Like, mm-hmm. this isn't like, oh no, this is a process and you know, whatever. And so they pulled all the psychology professors together and said, how can we let this girl graduate in a year? And I like appreciated that. Um, and at the time I was pursuing neuroscience. So sometimes I do lie and say, I got a major in neuroscience because I was one credit away from majoring one. And my advisor didn't even catch that. Like that's that first gen stuff that I'm talking about is you clearly see me confused. Like I had no idea that you can walk across the stage and take a summer class. I thought once you put your foot on that stage, there was no going back. Like there is nothing. So there was a lot of in between things that like even my first, my first, freshman year, sophomore year, you can tell that this girl is confused. Like you would sit down and talk to me and be like, this girl has no idea what is going on in college. But I think the the, the problem is a lot of my professors were not first gens. So they don't, they don't like, they don't know how to pick up on it. They, they probably think that like this girl just like jumped into college. She came when she was 17. She's underdeveloped, you know, like I think it was more of those different things than like, cause when I meet with first gens, I can see right away, like I can see you want to ask this question, but you have no idea the language of that. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, is this what you're trying to ask? And they're like, yes. Oh my God. Like I just didn't know, you know, those different things. So I never had anybody feel those in for me. And I think that that was like the biggest disservice is like doing a major that I had no idea really how to find joy in and really what to do. Cause I thought that was the only option that I had and people yeah. Also, know. at the age of 18, we're supposed to know what we want to do. Mm-hmm. When going and you're like, these are, I'm just literally trying to survive mm-hmm. in another town, city, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, I, looking back, I'm like, we have these expectations on 18 year olds. Oh, yeah. To know what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Also, like, unrealistic. What was that? It's completely unrealistic. Yeah. Right? And like, looking back, I was like, yeah, also, too, like, how did your how did your advisor not pick up on the fact that that's the question too. Also not saying that's his or her fault, but Mm -hmm. like to, why aren't we asking questions to be like, how are classes going? Mm -hmm. What do you like? What don't you like? Mm -hmm. Are there things that, you know, that you're curious about or interested in Mm -hmm. outside of these options? Because Loris does have a ton of options. Yeah. Like degree options. It's, I mean, so does, you know, colleges now, you know, your options Mm -hmm. are like endless. Yeah. And I, that's, and I, I just try to, to just take the learning lesson from it more than anything, but I just, I'm just, I don't get it, you know? And I went through, I mean, my thing is, I think I had a a GPA semester, hmm, probably less than a 2.0. And it's like, how do you not have a conversation with a person? And, and I'm not saying that like, I go to a school of 18,000 people. Like in my class, I think it was 200 and something. I don't know. And what I do now is I advocate heavily on any student that has a specific GPA. We are meeting with them. Any student that cannot meet their criteria of their um, student account, we're meeting with them because we can't expect that these kids know what's going on. Mm -hmm. You know, and one conversation, I'm not saying that it's going to fix anything, but at least they know that they can, you know, come to you and ask these different questions. And it was like, there was just so many things that just screamed, I need to have a conversation with Sharonae but people just didn't, you know, and I, I don't fault them to it in a way of like, I hold grudges, but we're in a different place now. And I'm glad that people can have that. So anybody at Loris, like if you like say missed your payment or if your payment is late, everybody has a conversation. I'm like, that's, 
that's what I'm talking about. We have an entire first-gen program for people that are the first in their family to, you know, pursue a degree. That That is what's super helpful. Um, and so, yeah, those are the bigger things that I would say kind of made college a challenge in that first-gen piece because I did not, I mean, I had to buy a car, um, out here. Like I just, I didn't really know what to do. I didn't know how to socialize. I didn't know how to balance certain things. I didn't know certain majors. I didn't, I didn't even know that there were people like a financial aid office that literally cared about you. I thought that you all only helped me sign a loan and that's it. I did not know you can go into an office and have a conversation with this person. Didn't like, I just didn't know people's job titles. I just didn't know anything. And I'm just like, I'm glad I graduated though. (laughs) You made it out. (laughs) And so um, kind of too to the education piece is that I was paralyzed. I looked at my undergrad GPA, like when I switched majors, oh, that GPA was amazing. The overall GPA, I was paralyzed. Nobody's going to accept me into their grad program. (laughs) I I can't like it. I was going to hold myself back. Like, and I had those like crippling things and it really took one person to say, okay, and they're going to tell you how to she say it there. Okay. And so they're going to tell you, no. So what you going to do next girl? <laughs> and so I was like, you know what? Actually, you're right. The worst that somebody's going to say is no, you know? Oh, so, totally. you know, what is that going to do? Break your heart at the time? Like no, did break my heart. I didn't work through that at the time, you know? Uh, but um, shout out to Clark. They had a meeting with me, like they saw my GPA, but they also saw the change of like when I switched majors, they saw that and they had a really in-depth conversation about, you know, just making sure that if I accept you in this program, like, are you going to do what you need to do? And I think I had like a 3.8, like I was getting all A's in, in my master's. And that's because at the time I understood what it means to, navigate college. I understood what it means to ask questions. I knew people's job titles. I knew a little bit more about myself. I knew how to do my hair. Most important, I knew how to do my hair. (laughs) And then I was learning how to cook. I was not that great of a cook, but I was eating a little bit better. So I think that those um, things surrounding uh, um, education and that first gen piece is really important and that helped me. As we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, uh, we broke this one into two parts with Sharonae Baker. We had so much to cover that it deserved two episodes. So make sure you head to the next episode of And We Go On, uh, the She Unites podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to And We Go On. Check out our show notes for links and additional education. We would love to hear from you. So please leave us a review. Be the first to sponsor And We Go On, a She Unites podcast. Get your name out in the community, in person, and online. For more info, email sheunitesiowa at gmail.com. She Unites is a 501c3 nonprofit organization registered in the state of Iowa. We are proud to be a 100% donation-supported organization. Our spaces, speakers, and programming are all gifted by those who support our vision, because we are better together. If you feel compelled to join us in the She Unites mission, please donate at sheunitesiowa.com. Follow us on Instagram at SheUnitesIowa for the latest and greatest from our organization.